my pleasure to be with you this morning. A few months ago, I read something by uh, your president, not George W. Bush, but Bill Hamill, and I'd like to share it with you. This is what he says. There are two names for the church in the New Testament that ought to give each of us pause. The first is body. In 1 Corinthians 12, Paul goes to great lengths to point out that for a body to be healthy, it needs all of its parts in good working order. We all know how critical that is personally. That's why we spend so much time and attention trying to get well when we're sick and stay well when we're healthy. In calling us a body, Paul makes the point that it is just as critical for a congregation to stay healthy. This becomes all the more significant with the second name for the local church and the corporate church, the bride of Christ. If a church is Christ, if the church is Christ's bride, then it stands to reason that how we operate together before a watching world bears directly on the reputation of Christ. What the world sees in local churches affects their view of Christ and the receptivity to the gospel of Christ. Bill Hamill, president, Free Church of America. The second to the the second paragraph really caught my attention and challenged me personally. If the church of Christ, if the church is Christ's bride, then it stands to reason that how we operate together before a watching world bears directly on the reputation of Christ. Thirty five years ago, when I was in seminary, we spent a lot of time studying apologetics. In other words, how to defend the gospel and to make certain that people could understand why it is that we believe in Christ. People today who study the Church of Christ say and study our society say that people in our American society don't want answers about why Jesus Christ was resurrected from the dead. What they want to know, first of all, is, is it working in our lives? Now, we can lament the change from people wanting logical answers to wanting empirical answers. But nevertheless, that's what people in our society are saying. Is it working in your life? Don't tell me about Jesus Christ unless you can first tell me how it's working in your life. It really challenges us then, doesn't it? That we need to make certain, first of all, in the church of Christ, in the family of Christ, in the body of Christ, that we are learning how to treat one another properly. So in turn, we know how to treat people in society properly. A couple of weeks ago, I saw this bumper sticker. We couldn't actually get it the way it was. It was a huge American flag. And you have to picture this. I'm driving down the highway and this catches my attention because it's on the it was a man. Uh, only a man would do this, uh, had this on the right side of his rear bumper as a huge American flag. And then beneath the flag, it said, United, we stand. That sounds good. United we stand. We stand as Americans, macho men and macho women. And then I looked to the left side of the bumper, and here's what he had. Don't be a jackass. Vote Republican. In other words, if you vote the way I vote and think the way I vote, we will be united and stand together. And as I thought about that, I thought, what would Jesus do? So I rear-ended him. I sped up and rear-ended him just to, just to see how he would react. Uh, that was a joke. I actually thought about it, but I thought that wouldn't be too good. But sadly, that's the way it is in the Church of Jesus Christ sometimes. If you agree exactly with what I believe, if you agree, agree exactly with what I think the Bible says on every jot and tittle, then we're friends. 
But if you don't agree with every point of doctrine that I hold dear, then we're not friends. And I don't want you in my life. Think about what's going on in our Congress today. How many times do you hear that Congress people are at odds with one another? Not just being disagreeing philosophically, but disagreeing personally. And so we have to ask ourselves the question, is that kind of thinking working its way into the church so that we are not treating one another with respect? So let's think together about the church as the body and the family of Christ. First of all, as the body of Christ in first Corinthians 12. Well, there, there are two words. The first is body. I mentioned that. And then secondly, the, the church is the family as the bride of Christ. But I want us to look at first Corinthians chapter 12, because this is what the Apostle Paul says. The body is a unit, though it's made up of many parts and though all of its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. Now, this past January, and I don't want you to get bitter about this because I'm going to talk about bitterness and forgiveness later on. I don't want you to be bitter about this. Last January in Phoenix, I was golfing. And I thought about you here shoveling snow and putting on parkas and all. But they put me with this guy. He was just a huge guy, just a a beautiful physical specimen, looked like a weightlifter. And I I finally had to ask him, are are you an athlete? And he said, well, I I was a wrestler in college. And I said, where did you wrestle? And he said, the University of Minnesota. And I said, where did you grow up? He said, Tucson. Tucson. There's a disconnect there. I said, how did you get from Tucson to Minnesota? Was it cold? I knew. I knew what he was going to say. And he said, yes, and I only stayed one year. So I had to jab him. I said, oh, you weren't strong enough to handle the winter, huh? I handled it 18 years, you big wimp. Now, don't miss this. This guy's just gigantic. Wrestled on scholarship at the University of Minnesota. And he said, no, I broke my toe. I said, which toe? He said, I broke my big toe. Now think about this. This guy could have crushed me in his hands and he couldn't wrestle because he broke his toe. A piece of his body, not much bigger than my thumb. But Paul is saying that the body is made up of many parts. So that here's this wonderfully gifted athlete who comes to the University of Minnesota, one of the finest wrestling programs in the country, if you follow wrestling, and he can't wrestle because he breaks his big toe. Why? Because the body is made up of many parts. And you and I are all part of that being of many parts. And and we're all given different gifts and we're all given different talents and we're all to be using them. But oftentimes what happens is that someone has a different gift from us or a different talent from us. And so they're expressing their giftedness or their talentedness, if that's a word, differently from us. And we criticize them because they're not doing it the way we would do it. And instead of saying they're part of the body. The Apostle Paul goes on in Ephesians chapter five to say that the church is the bride of Christ. And he uses the analogy of the church to marriage to help men understand how we're to treat our wives. But in saying that, he's talking about how Christ treats the church. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her to make her holy, 
Here's what he's doing for us, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church. So here's Christ working on our behalf so that we as part of the church will become part of a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. He feeds and cares for it. So we're part of Christ's body. When we become followers of Christ, we become part of Christ's body. My friend John Aker, who used to be the president of Slavic Gospel Association, some of you know him or many of you know him. He's preached in this church before. He said when the Soviet Union fell and more missionaries got into the Soviet Union, this is how he described the church here. He said it's not a pretty church, but it's the church of Christ and I'm going to serve it. In other words, he was saying not all of their doctrine was correct, not all of their behavior is correct, but it was the church of Christ. It was the bride of Christ. And he was going to help make it better. Therefore, if we're all part of the bride of Christ, that should then affect how we treat one another, shouldn't it? Uh, Jesus weighs in on this by saying that we are part of his family. In, In Matthew chapter 12, verse 50, Jesus says this. Whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Now, I don't know about you, but I struggle with that a little bit. Uh, How I could struggle with the words of Jesus, I don't know. But I struggle with that because he's our example. He's our savior. He's our teacher. But now he's saying, be intimate with me because you are as my brother or my sister or my mother. In other words, he's saying you are part of my family. You are in the inner circle here. A friend of mine, some of you know him, Sam Owen, who is a uh, who is a missionary in in Nairobi, told me that he heard Mother Teresa speaking one day and they actually call it the in the Catholic Church. They um, I lost it in my notes here. They call it the the, 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 some nuns, when they become nuns, actually wear a wedding dress and they actually say, I am the bride of Christ. So wherever Mother Teresa was speaking, and I forget the number of years she mentioned, but let's just say 40. She held she held up her right hand and said, this is my wedding ring. When I became a nun, I married Jesus Christ and I put on this wedding ring to signify that I am married to Christ. I have given him my life. And you can imagine her saying this. And then she paused and said, and I can tell you, he's not an easy man to live with. (laughs) Now, think about that. That better be right. Because in a healthy family, brothers and sisters challenge one another and help one another grow. I have an older brother. I know I have a younger sister. I know. One time we were together when my mother was still alive and we met my uncle and we were golfing. And then my my mom and my sister joined us at at the turn. If you don't know what that means, that means halfway through the the round and they were going to ride along with us. And so we had three carts and people needed to be placed here and there. So I was saying, Mom, you sit here and Julie, you sit here. And I was moving people around. And all of a sudden, my brother was standing right over my shoulder and he whispered, who made you the general? Now, think about that for a moment. He didn't embarrass me. Didn't put me down in front of the crowd. He just said, who made you the general? In other words, you're being a little too bossy here, John, which is the first time in my life I'd ever done that. (laughs) But that's what brothers do. That's what sisters do. 
And Jesus is saying, if we do the will of the father, then we are part of his family. We are in this inner circle with him. He goes on in John chapter 15, verse 14. If you remember, John chapter 13 to 17 is Jesus giving the final marching orders to the disciples before he goes out to be arrested and then crucified for the sins of the world. In John chapter 15, verse 14, he says, you are my friends if you do what I command. Now, there's that word command or obey again. He's saying we are part of his family if we obey the will of the father. And now he's saying we are friends if we do what he commands. In other words, he's saying I'm the boss here. I'm not any mamby pamby Jesus. You can do whatever you want. You can think whatever you want. I'm the boss and you measure up according to my standard. Verse 15. I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father. I have made known to you. There's that inner circle again. Everything that the father taught me, I am now giving to you. But you are my friends if you do what I command. My friend John Aker tells me this story. He was a a, a monk in the Passionist Monastery six months from graduation when he decided that he he didn't want to live a celibate life and he, he left the order. He had already been nominated to study at Rome. He told me there's there was there's a legend in the Catholic Church, uh, another Mother Teresa, Mother Teresa of Avila, Spain. And supposedly she was walking to the monastery to become a nun. And she it was in Spain. It was wintertime. It was snowing. And she had this long walk and she was going up a hill and she was cold and her feet were cold. And she muttered out loud, Jesus, you're not very nice to your friends. And supposedly the Lord's words came back to her. I sometimes am tough with my friends. And Sister Teresa of Avila, Spain, said, no wonder you have so few friends. But the point is, we have to understand that when we come to a relationship with Jesus Christ, he's not only our savior and he's not only our teacher and he's not only our example, but he's also our boss. And we live the entirety of our lives from the time we invite him into our lives, trying to figure out how it is that he wants us to live. Hebrews chapter 14, verse seven, uh, the writer to the Hebrews, and we don't know who that is, says this, those that God loves, he disciplines. Those that God loves, he disciplines. For those of you who were, were alive when, when Lincoln was president, it was 1978 or 1979, and a man in the church here by the name of Mac Peterson, one of the finest people I've ever met. He's one of those few people, you, he, he's, so, he's so good you don't even think Jesus had to die for his sins. It's just the, it's the way he was. I never heard a bad word about him. And he became the church's first Visitation pastor, part-time visitation pastor. The reason he became visitation pastor is because um, I don't really have the gift of helps and, and mercy and being with people in hospitals. And so there was a lady in the church that had a, had a baby and I went to the hospital and I was nervous and she was nervous and I didn't know what to say and she didn't know what to say. And I was standing at the foot of her bed and, and so I said, do your stitches hurt? And I got home and told Susan and she said, I'm talking to the deacons because we can't have you doing that to people. And so I talked to the deacons and they said, you're right. Would you just stay in the pulpit on Sunday and we'll cover for you. And and so so my indiscretion was actually a great gift to the church because Mac Peterson touched so many lives. 
But down right near where Blockbuster is, there was a Perkins and he and I were having lunch right after New Year's Day. I was goofing around with him. I said, so, Mac, did you make some New Year's resolutions? I've never forgotten this. And he said, yes, I did. And so I was still in a goofing off mode. And I said, so what, you, what was it? Did you, did, you, did you tell the Lord you're not going to go to the horse track anymore this year? And he wasn't joking around. He said, no, I prayed New Year's Eve. Jesus, if you need to make changes in my life, you make them. And then he looked at me and he said, but I know for him to make those changes, he's going to have to hurt me. And I thought, my goodness, if Mac Peterson still has areas of his life where Jesus needs to renovate his life, then how about me? That story is almost 30 years old and I tell it almost everywhere I speak because it made such an impact on me. Mac understood this intimate relationship with Christ, that he was part of Christ's family. He was part of the friendship circle of Jesus Christ, that he understood that Jesus needed to continue doing work in his life. Now, then, Jesus desire for this body that he talks about. Did I forget chapter verse 15, verse 14, chapter 15, verse 14? Did I talk about that? 15. Sorry. Sorry, Paul. Verse 15. Paul, Paul upstairs before the service said, how will I know when you're confused and lost? And I said, you'll know. Don't worry about it. <laughs> I think I said this. I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father. I have made known to you. OK, Jesus desire for the body. John chapter 13, verse 35. Now, Jesus is with the disciples in the upper room <clears throat> and he says, by this will all men know that you are my disciples, that you have love for one another. Very interesting. He doesn't say by this will all men know that you are my disciples based on how much of the Bible, you know, or based on how much theology, you know, or based on what your position is in the church. He says, by this will all men know that you are my disciples, that you have love for one another. I have a friend and I won't name him, but he works in a Christian organization. I asked him what, what it's like to work in that particular organization. And he said this. There are a lot of thought Nazis around a lot of thought Nazis around. Well, as you listen to that, what he's saying then is that there are people who want me to think exactly as I think. And if I don't think exactly as they think on every jot and tittle, then they hold me in suspicion. I've been privileged to spend time in Central Africa in the country of Burundi. A quarter of a million people died there in the genocide that came down from Rwanda. Hardly anyone knows about it. And I've been invited to minister with the Burundian Pentecostal Church. And they invited me back a couple of years ago to be there for their 65th anniversary. And it was really an honor to be invited. And I said to the man that invited me, you know that I'm not Pentecostal. And he looked at me and said, you love God and you love the Bible. And that's all that matters to me. So I brought along a friend of mine, a pastor friend of mine from Oregon, who's an Assembly of God pastor. Now, his name's Mike. Mike and I don't agree on every part, part of theology. Michael speaks in tongues. I don't speak in tongues. We never discuss it. We don't argue about it. The, the Burundian Pentecostal Church loved Michael because when they prayed, he spoke in tongues. Maybe they understood what he was praying. I don't know. Maybe there was an interpretation. 
But the point is that that we recognize that we're all part of the body of Christ, even though we see some of the non-essential portions of the scripture differently. But we don't have to argue about them because there are bigger issues to deal with. And so Jesus is saying that we need to love one another and respect one another. In John chapter 17, he's still in the upper room, but now he's praying the final prayer before he goes out to be arrested. In John chapter 17, verse 21, he says this. Remember, this is the Lord's prayer. This is not my prayer. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. There's our goal. Jesus was praying for you and me that we would be one just as he and the Father are one. In other words, anything less than the kind of unity and the oneness that God the Father and God the Son have is not acceptable. We need to keep pursuing that kind of oneness. Now then, if we're the same body, we're the same family, we're friends, uh, how do we care for this family of Christ? How do we care for this body of Christ? And here, here are five things that I think are true that should help us know how to care for the body and that should carry over into our relationships in the world. The first is our attitudes. In Philippians chapter 2, uh, 1 through 4, the Apostle Paul says this, and, and everywhere where I, where I have the word if highlighted, that word should be translated in, 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 the, in the English language from the Greek as since. There are four different ways the Greek language, the word if, is translated in English. This should be since. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, that's where the Apostle Paul starts. Are you being united with Christ? If any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit... If any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like minded. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, consider others better than yourselves. But understand, Paul begins this argument by taking us back to Christ and saying, if there's encouragement in your life from being united with Christ, if there's comfort from his love and if you've sensed something in your life because you have fellowship with the spirit, therefore, be this way and that be this way is to consider others as better than yourself. A, a buddy of mine from high school is a Christian guy, lives in Colorado, and every week he golfs with the same four guys. He just goes out and they put them together. He's not necessarily friends. He told me a couple of weeks ago, and, and I share this with his permission. He was riding with this guy and um, he says to him, may I ask you a question? They're riding a golf cart. And the man said, yes. He said, um, you were very successful before you retired in the healthcare industry. Yes. How is it that you were so successful in the healthcare industry since you're not interested in learning? And the man said, what do you mean? And my friend said, well, whenever I golf with you, you're always talking and you're always bossing people around. It's not like what I was doing with my family. Don't make the parallel. And you never ask any questions. You just talk and give orders. How is it that you are so successful when you're not a learner? Because people don't learn when they talk. They learn when they ask questions. And I've never heard you ask one question of any of us. Ken said the golf cart got real quiet. And for three holes, that's about 45 minutes, for three holes, this man never spoke to my friend. And then he said... I thank you for saying that because my wife has asked me 
the same question. And she told me she's tired of it and she's tired of me. So my friend cared enough for this guy to challenge him that he's always talking, never listening. If you come back to the Apostle Paul, what this man is saying, I think, is that he's better than those other three men. Although apparently they've been pretty successful in their businesses. I know that my friend has. He's been all over the world consulting a company that you all know and you use much of their software. But I won't name the company. So the Apostle Paul is is telling us that we are to consider one another as better than ourselves. Secondly, our behavior In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32, the apostle writes, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. There the apostle Paul builds his case again on how we should be living our lives by taking us back to Jesus Christ. And he's saying because God forgave us through Christ, therefore we ought to be forgiving. This last year I was with a church in Castro Valley, California, which is just south of Oakland, for six months and one day a lady came up to me and uh, began talking and she started talking about a church south of San Francisco and a little bit east of San Francisco and she said our church hasn't been the same since so-and-so was our pastor he ruined our church well I happen to know that man we were friends when we were in seminary and he left that church 25 years ago I actually had to scratch my head for a moment and ask her a couple of questions to realize that he hadn't come back and just left the church a few months ago. She was talking about some history from 25 years ago. Now, I don't know if he ruined the church or not. I wasn't there. But but it took me a moment to realize what was going on. She was talking about 25 year old history as though it had happened yesterday. And then she paddled off to spread her venom somewhere else. I was sort of glad she left me. But when it finally dawned on me what she said, I couldn't find her. I wanted to say to her, ma'am, how is it that you could hold on to whatever my friend did 25 years ago? How is it that you talk about it as though it's present tense that it just happened? And and if if we said to her, ma'am, do you believe in the Bible? She would say, of course I believe in the Bible. Do you follow the Bible? Yes, I follow the Bible. Well, here's the verse that you aren't following because you haven't forgiven this pastor yet. And you're holding on to it 25 years later. The Apostle Paul goes on with the third way we care for the family. It's with our speech. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15, he says, speak the truth in love. We will in all things grow up into him who is the head. That is Christ. And so now he brings this admonition from Jesus in the upper room that by, by, by this will all men, men know that, we're, that we are his disciples, that we have love for one another. And Jesus is telling us to be truth tellers. Paul brings that together and he says, speak the truth in love. What is love? We can go to 1 Corinthians 13 to read what love is. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. Let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouths but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. Now, the word unwholesome there just means anything that doesn't make a positive impact in somebody's life. And what Paul is saying is that we need to share things that help people grow in their faith. 
And frankly, one of the things that we do far too much in the Church of Christ is we talk about other people when they're not present. And every time we gossip, we feel better about ourselves, but we injure the reputation of someone else. I'm as a pro-life today as I was when I was your pastor, but I remember one of our people who visited and talked to newcomers to our church came to me and said, you need to call so-and-so because they, they heard that you're pro-choice. So I called this person and said, that they would never return a phone call. I said, I just want you to understand, I am not pro-choice. I am pro-life. Well, how did someone get the opinion then that I was pro-choice? Somebody had to be talking about something I said, took it out of context and said, well, you know, he's pro-choice. And yet here's the Apostle Paul saying, speak the truth in love. Uh, Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only that which builds up other people. Now, that doesn't mean that we can't have fun with each other. That doesn't mean that we don't kid each other. But we have to be asking ourselves the question, is what I'm saying now helping this person grow? Fourthly, to be mutually submissive. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. You remember the name Richard Dorch. Uh, uh, he, he was with Jim Baker on the PTL club. He went to jail in Florida for some of the things he did in the PTL club. He was the Illinois state director for the Assembly of God. He had a lot of ministry at what was then North Central Bible College. Now I think it's North Central University down by the Metrodome. I've read his book twice. I commend it to you. It's called Integrity, How I Lost It and My Journey Back. It's a powerful book about how he got outside of the will of God, even to the point that he was committing crimes financially. But he said when he told a story when he was in a, when he was a state director for the Assembly of God Church in Illinois, he came to a church and he was meeting with the board and the pastor and the board voted to do something. And this man said, you can vote all you want, but I'm not writing the check because he was the treasurer of the church on the board. And Reverend Dorch said to him, sir, we accept your your, we accept your resignation right now. And the man slammed down his books, his checkbook and got up and harumped out of the out of the meeting room and out of the church. Next day, the pastor came to Dorch and said, I want to thank you for confronting that man. He has been controlling this church for years with that threat. And we didn't have the courage to confront him. Now, think about that for a moment. Was he being submissive to that board? No, he was saying, I don't care what you vote. I don't care how you vote. I don't care if the votes 10 to 1. I'm not writing the check. So he wasn't submissive to any authority. He wasn't submissive to the authority of the church that elected that board. He wasn't submissive to the authority of Christ that established that church. He was his own authority. And yet here's the Apostle Paul saying, submit to one another. And finally, how do we protect the body? In in Titus chapter three, verse 10, Paul says this. Warn a divisive person once and warn him a second time and then have nothing to do with him. Let's look at that in a little more detail. If a person's divisive, in other words, if that if they are creating division, if they are around creating little fiefdoms and gossip about people, warn them once 
And Jesus actually gives us the directions on how to warn them. Go to them privately and then come with a couple of witnesses and then bring them before the church. Warn them twice. And if they refuse to repent, boot them. Now, that word boot is not my word. That's your president's word, Bill Hamill. Because I asked him about this one day and he said, yeah, just boot them. Just boot them. And yet, oftentimes what happens in the church is that we placate people and we say, well, that's just how John is. Well, you've got to know John first. John overstates the case. Well, I'm not so sure about that. Let's look at Philippians chapter 2, verse 4. I plead with Yodia and Syntyche to agree with that your other in the Lord. These two women were at one another's throats in this church. If we had names like that, maybe we'd be angry all the time, too. I don't know. But notice what Paul says. Yes, and I ask you, loyal yoke fellow, help these women. In other words, he's not making excuses for them. He's not saying this is how they are. He's not saying you have to understand them. He's not saying accept their behavior. He's saying help them grow. Now then, if we're a family, if we're a body, and and we realize that one of our brothers or our sisters is outside of the will of God, then Paul is saying we're to step into their lives like my brother did that day with me to help these women grow. In other words, we can't view the church just as a place where there are a group of islands that come together. We've got to be helping one another to grow. And finally, Romans chapter 14, verse 19, the Apostle Paul says this. He's very realistic about the fact that we don't always see eye to eye. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. And sometimes I've just had to counsel people. You have done all you can to make peace with this person. Now leave them in God's hands. Because sometimes there are people who simply refuse to reconcile. They refuse to forgive And we can't put their head in a vice and squeeze it. We have to leave them in God's hands. Now, by way of personal application, let me leave this with you. First of all, how do we value the family and the body of Christ? Do we recognize it as a privilege that that Jesus says that we are part of his family and that we are his friends? And that the Apostle Paul says we are part of the body of Christ. We might be the big toe on that wrestler from Tucson, but we have a significant role to play. Secondly, let's look at ourselves and our behavior. How do we talk about other people? How do we respect other people? How do we disrespect other people? And let's not worry about our neighbor next door. Let's think about how we respond to the body of Christ, because Jesus said, take the log out of your own eye first. And finally, remember, there is only one standard, and that standard is Jesus Christ, and he's the boss. And he's saying that we have to be willing to submit to his commandments if we're going to be called his friends and his family. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for Jesus' honesty. We thank you for his clarity. That in a society that doesn't like rules... His words are so loud and clear from 2,000 years ago that he expects his children and his friends to follow his commandments. I pray for my brothers and sisters here, and I pray for myself, that we would all be willing to take the next step with you.
understand how you want us to live and then to do it. And we pray this in the name of Christ. Amen.